Off top, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. warned us against the effects of capitalism against the poorest among us. Suggested a guaranteed basic income. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show presented by Allstate. Just got to set the tone on MLK Day. Throw your hands up. You got to set the tone, a tone of love, a tone of forgiveness, unity, kindness, right? Right? That's the tone of today's show, right, Mr. Charlie Kravitz? Also, welcome to the show, Bill Barnwell, whom you can't see if you're watching on the YouTubes because he is so committed to all of the states that he won't put his hands down. Thank you. So I respect all state and the universal basic income. That's <laughs> what we're you. here yes. talking about. Appreciate it. That's all we're here to talk about. Protecting the weakest among us, <laughs> a.k.a. the Dallas Cowboys. All right. I, I just want to get out the way. I just want to get out the way. Charlie, do you think, man? You're so okay. excited. If I, I am so excited. Group chat. Oh, Charlie is so happy. Just a hater at the core of My his phone. being. Washington phone fan. has never lit up more. My phone there has was, never uh, had more was, text than Charlie so during this Cowboys game. We're going to get into the Cowboys stuff, uh, but when, there was a point when it was 14 nothing when it was over. We knew it was over early in the in, – it was at the end of the first quarter, and me and Bill started dancing on the Cowboys' grave, and Dominique said, guys, it's not over. And then four seconds later, Dak threw a pick six, and it became 20 nothing. Guys, it's over. Yeah, then it became, guys, it's over. Uh, look – because I'm your friend, Dominique, we have to start with the Cowboys. I can't let you off the hook. I can't infantilize you and and be like, oh, it wasn't that bad. This conversation needs to begin with Dak Prescott because there was a stretch of this season where Dak Prescott was playing some of the best football of any quarterback in the NFL and some of the best football of his career. That sort of weighing down the stretch and then this game against the Green Bay Packers was an unmitigated disaster. He used the second half to pad a lot of his stats. He ended up over 400 yards, but with 128 left in the first half, he had like 65 yards and two interceptions and no touchdowns. And that was the, it was 27, nothing at that point. And that was what defined the game. And I want to ask you guys, cause this is not all on deck It is on the Cowboys and Dak. How much of this is on Dak? How much of this is on McCarthy and how much of this is on the defense? Well, it's, it's a, uh, so I, I think you have to start with McCarthy. When you are bad at every phase, it's the head coach first. So they were bad at offense. They were bad at defense. They were even bad at special teams, missing extra points, returning uh, kickoffs out of the end zone to the 12-yard line and things like that. They really weren't good at anything. So I think that falls on the coach, first of all. And when you lose to a seven seed and you're a two seed at home, a place where you hadn't lost in a couple of years, I believe, yeah, it starts with the coach. No, no, no. I mean, you're you're right, but like when we talk about parsing the coaches, and like I will get to the, a lot of this, I'm sure, but it felt like maybe some of the coaches were more to blame than others. And not to say yeah. that Mike McCarthy is not in charge of the defense in, in terms of the big picture, but for three years, we have been giving Dan Quinn credit for the defense. Even when we criticize Mike McCarthy, we've been like, listen, Dan Quinn's got this locked down. Mike McCarthy is the problem with the time management, using Zeke at center, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> that defense looked like they had never played together before today. And that has to fall at least somewhat on Dan Quinn and not Mike McCarthy, no? 
Dan Quinn, who is supposedly one of the hot uh, head coach candidates right now that everybody wants. I'm not sure that he won him there. Yeah, it was also uh, a recurring problem. So, like, the big issue was their ability to stop the run in their ugliest games defensively this year. They struggled stopping the run. I think the ugliest game they had this year, uh, possibly uglier than this game, was that Bills game where they just got pushed all around the field. I mean, at least in this game, Jordan Love had to throw the ball or chose to throw the ball once or twice. Josh Allen didn't even have to throw it in that game. So I think that's incredibly embarrassing. But why are we messing around? Charlie, you know you want to just dump on Dak. So go ahead. Do it. Look, dump he's, away. He's, he spotted them 20 points. Like, you can say what you want about the defense, but he was so bad at the start of that game. 20? Oh, 14. He really started spotted them for 14 points. They came, they, the Packers came down the field and scored, and then Dak spotted them the next two drives. Um, no, I mean, like, look, there has been an incredibly ongoing debate that's, in my opinion, incredibly annoying about Dak Prescott that happens on a ton of networks being like, how good is he? Is he treated, do the goalposts move for Dak? When the answer is probably that he's a very good regular season quarterback who has weird playoff moments. And this was the nadir of that. This is like, this is the closest to a James Harden moment in the NFL possible. Like he was terrible in this game. And I, I do think that's the lead story. Like this is because because of the season he had like that to me, that's much more important than the defense. Can I read from the group chat, Dominique? Am I oh, allowed I to read from the group chat? By Charlie means. Kravitz. By the way, we can't do KD Steph stuff on Dak. There was so much to talk about going blank is a waste in my opinion. And yet here we are five minutes into the show and we're like, Dak was terrible. You're bringing out James Harden. To be fair, I was afraid that I was going to say this and then Dominique was going to dunk on me and be like, you're an idiot. Dak has always been better than you realize you're a cretin. You don't get it, et cetera, et cetera. I was trying to play day, Charlie. there by being like, this he's is just your good. chance. Dominique no, I mean, it's dunk on you today. I, I mean, I could always find a way to dunk on Charlie if I yeah. wanted to, but I'm not looking to dunk on him. I, I mean, I think so. A lot of times, because the, the playoffs are one game, I think that we can point to the larger sample size of the regular season and point to that as evidence of uh, players like who he truly is. But Dax had a lot of playoff games at this point, and you can look at all those playoff games. And because the game is such an interdependent game, there's always a reason for someone else to, or a reason for some other facet to have let the team down or let a player down. But eventually, I think the point that Charlie made was this is the top story. Whether it's the main reason or not, doesn't matter. This is the top story. And no matter, there's no number of analytics or, or uh, tricky takes that you can make to change the way that Dak is going to be uh, talked about and treated. And I, I think that's, at a certain point, there's a threshold. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's fair to to um, not put him in the tier of quarterbacks that have made it to uh, bigger games and won those bigger games. And I mean, this uh, to be completely honest about Dak's season this year, this has been the story of his season. Like he's been incredible. He, I feel like if you think about some of these great quarterbacks, they don't have games over the course of great seasons as bad as he had this year. Most quarterbacks don't get close to having as many great games in their career that he had this season. So that's a credit to him, but he's always been this type of guy. It's kind of like Josh Allen, except Josh Allen will be great in a game and terrible in a game. Dak is different in that he saves all his crap for an individual game. And it just so happens that every now and then 
it's going to happen in the playoffs. And it's happened in the playoffs this year, and it happened in the playoffs last year, and it happened in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, I think those, this, this year and last year were probably stand out to me as the worst performances by him as an individual in the playoffs. I, I came into the show really excited because I picked the Cowboys to go to the Super Bowl in my column <laughs> this week. And this was going to be my one opportunity to be around a Cowboys person who was a bigger supporter of Dak than me. And so I was going to get to like, you know, mess with him a little bit. And now this is just sad. Like I'm, I'm seeing Dominique like, like walk off the bandwagon downtrodden and defeated saying Dak's just an average quarterback. Who's never going to win in the playoffs. And we're all just like, we just spent five years arguing against this. You're, I you're one of them now. I don't think that he's just an average quarterback, and I do think he has the capability to have playoff success. But this is not any different than Foster the way that loaded. I've. This is not any different than the way that I've always talked about Dak. You let Charlie convince you that all I do is make up lies about Dak. My history with Dak was I did not believe in him. Then I watched him in his rookie season dominate in the playoffs, and then somehow I had to listen to people tell me that Carson Wentz was better than Dak. So I became a Dak supporter. Then when he's bad, I'm like, hey, guys, let's be honest about this situation. All quarterbacks sometimes are bad. But there's enough games in the playoffs where I'm like, all right, at some point I can, I can we have to appreciate that he's a very good quarterback. He's not going, he's not in that upper echelon of quarterback. Like that's Dominique, a fair, honest Dominique, thing to say about Dak. I need you to, to admit something. He's no right. longer cousin, he's no longer cousin Dak. He's Dak Cousins. That's that is harsh. That is awful. Is it? That's awful. He's a very good quarterback who's sometimes bad for significant for insignificant moments. Can can awful. we can we talk about Tua just flying under the radar? Oh, no, no, we'll get there. Monday morning. Everyone's gonna get there, but they're gonna get there like 40 minutes into yeah. each of their shows. So I also, get for 20 minutes first. I know, I know how you got He's there, right. Bill. It's because you're going to write a column about how the Dolphins should sign Kirk Cousins to replace Tua in like two weeks. <laughs> Kirk wow. Cousins was like, that was the connection some us, point. Some of us may have already written that column and had it written <laughs> <for> tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just looking at Dak's QBR for the season. He has a 31, a 39, a 44, a 54 are his four lowest QBRs this season. He also has 97, 94, 92, and 86. Like, I don't imagine that many other quarterbacks have uh, a spread that big in the course of a season. So we can have this conversation in a dumb way. I think the people on this show make me think we can have this conversation in a smart way. The Cowboys, I think, I think Dominique thinks, I think Charlie thinks, are going to re-sign Dak Prescott to an extension this offseason. And the Cowboys have to pay CeeDee Lamb a lot of money this offseason, and they have to pay Michael Parsons a lot of money either this offseason or next offseason. They're going to get those deals done if they want to sign those guys. Do you think the Cowboys are better constructed with Dak Prescott making $58, $59, 60000000 dollars a year or going on a, a ride on the quarterback carousel and using that money, or at least a significant portion of that money elsewhere? I mean, my position hasn't changed. Like, you got a top-of-the-league quarterback. You don't let him leave the building. And you can structure the contract. You can backload the contract and try to keep everybody and make another run and restructure at the end of it. It doesn't feel to me like the do-or-die choice that sometimes we make it out to be, where it's like, all right, if you pay this guy, then all these great players have to leave immediately. Look at the, That's look at the Eagles. 
Look at the Eagles, though. <laughs> I don't agree with you on that. The Eagles are the perfect example of, yes, when you pay a quarterback, even if you structure it the right way, some dudes are heading out. And when some dudes head out, you may not be able to replace those guys. Yeah, fair point. But I'd still think that the if you're going to talk about which of these players you need to keep or you need to move on from, the way that the modern NFL is constructed, the quarterback matters. So, like, and it's so hard to find one. And maybe there's uh, – maybe – you have some formula that you stole from the Green Bay Packers to scout another quarterback, but I just don't know how you can ar- how you can argue that you're in a better position without that quarterback than anybody else. Those big names that you're mentioning, none of them are going to leave. Like, they, they can afford to sign yeah. all those guys. I, I mean, is, is there other is, guys may leave around those guys? Fair point. It's called life of the NFL. So uh, will we argue that you, I mean, what's, what's the position that we're trying to protect that offensive line? No, the running back or the running game. No, the, the defensive tackles that stop the run. No, like uh, it doesn't seem to me like there's uh much there worth protecting. Well, so I think the, the question is, is like, as currently constructed, do you think you have a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl with Dak Prescott? Or do you think it's better to try and continue to roll the dice and find something cheaper. Cause like, I'm just like, we, I'm, I do not want to go through the full quarterback, like rankings things. He was Dak was second right. in QBR this year. I thought right. for the majority of the season, he was one of the, the best players in football, regardless of position. He was awesome. But at that really, really, really top tier of that type of money, you're looking at I think, Holmes, Lamar, yeah. Allen, and like Stroud's obviously cheaper, but yeah. Stroud. I'm Purdy, sorry to, I'm sorry to cut Stafford, you off, love. Yeah, but I, I think the the question is, can you construct an argument that that makes sense to move on from Dak Prescott? Because I think the obvious answer is to keep him. The reasonable yeah. answer is to keep him. It's hard for me will. to, I know, but it's hard for me to construct a reasonable argument given how difficult it is to find quarterbacks that are like respectable starters, let alone Pro Bowl level quarterbacks like Dak Prescott. I guess Pro Bowl level has changed, but you know old school Pro Bowl level quarterback like Dak Prescott, like not MVP Tyler conversation Huntley. type guy. Yeah, not like Tyler Huntley. So like, I, I mean, what's the argument the other way? I don't know. Do either Chris of you have an argument? It's sure. Just, yeah, if you think you're capped with him playing and you don't think you can win the Super Bowl with, with Dak Prescott making that amount of money, it's a question of like, do right. you want to settle to be very right. good every year? Or do you want to so, raise your risk profile where you could stink or hit gold and win it? Right, but what comes with that risk pro- profile is the volatility. So it's it's just yeah. probability, I guess. And and that's my point. It's like if you are looking at this from uh, as shrewd an eye as you can, you're trying to give yourself the best probability to win a championship. Do you think the probability that Dak has three or four good weeks in a row in the playoffs is higher than you're going to find a quarterback that's, that is uh, not even better than him because better than him is the wrong word. Find a quarterback that – is a better value, I guess, would be the way to put it. I think the probability is higher that you stick with Dak, then you find a quarterback that's a better value. I don't think you have a, I think you have a better chance to win with finding something new. It, it, but it's also not Jaden Daniels, throw a name out there. If you could trade Dak and get the third overall pick or the fifth overall pick and draft Jaden Daniels, it's not Jaden Daniels versus Dak Prescott. It's Jaden Daniels plus mm-hmm. the $50 million yeah. you get to spend elsewhere on your roster, which maybe that makes your players running. Maybe you have a better running game so you're not one-dimensional in the postseason. Maybe you have cornerbacks who don't slip and fall down or or linebackers who get lost in coverage on leak and let a guy run free for literally the widest open touchdown in the entire season in the National Football League in the postseason. Maybe you have the money to pay all your guys and build a deeper roster on that guy. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just no, saying no, no. I, I think you can make that argument. 
I get it. I understand. That's why I use the word value instead of like better or cheaper. I, I completely understand that. But what I think if you could tell me that I'm going to get a average quarterback for cheap, then I would be reason I would it, I would think it's a reasonable conversation to have. Those are hard are to we, find too, guys. That's sure, the thing. Sure. Those are hard to find too. Mm-hmm. So what is more likely to happen is you are going to be cycling through trash quarterbacks. <laughs> that's yes, what's, that what's, is what's, much more likely. Okay, so yeah, that's not yeah. a world I want to live in. I feel more comfortable thinking that I can get four good weeks out of Dak eventually than I feel comfortable knowing that I will find this guy that you guys are imagining. That's all. So, three. so the Cowboys have been twelve and five the past three years, three years okay. in a row. Great record. I think any the vast vast majority of teams would sign up for that in a heartbeat before the season. Maybe the Chiefs are the only team who would not take twelve wins before the year. It has never felt like the Cowboys were close to winning a Super Bowl. Agreed. They have not come close to making it to an yeah. NFC championship game over that period. I think you've gotten exactly what you would want from Dak over the course of the I think he's been better than the Cowboys could have expected when they signed him to this extension. But you're also, by the way, Dominique, the other point is now you're a year away from Dak hitting free agency, and he has a no-trade clause and a no-tag clause, which I know is as a former union rep, it's near and dear to your heart, a no, a no tag clause. Dak can do whatever he wants in a year if he's sick of playing for the Cowboys. So do you at least think about preparing for a future without Dak Prescott, knowing you might not be able to sign him if he wants to go to free agency? Of course. I mean, I think you should think about preparing just about every um, possibility. However, I, I think it just comes down to it's easy to talk about these scenarios when you're not in the chair, which none of us are in the chair to make that That's decision. That's why we're here. We right, can't talk I, about that because we're not in the chair. That's the best part no, of this job is not but, having repercussions. But this, but this conversation is not valuable if you don't at least try to pretend like there are some repercussions. Like you can say any damn thing if there are no repercussions. My point is, I I don't have whatever you, you guys got more uh, fortitude than me because I don't got it. I don't got the <laughs> to be like, nah. I got a good quarterback. Let's go see what's out there. I don't got that's, it. I, that's the point, Dominique. Though. Mike McCarthy's gone 12 and 5 the past three years with Dak Prescott. And would you be surprised if he got fired tomorrow morning? No. So, like, like the guts, it doesn't matter. Like, that, you got exactly what you wanted, and you're still probably going to get fired because. Oh, no, but it's not Mike McCarthy's decision. Is my, like, like, to get fired? No. No, yeah, probably no, I not, mean, to, but, to sign or extend Dak Prescott, it's not up to him. I, we're talking about sure. if we are Jerry Jones in this situation. Mike McCarthy. It, like sign him, don't sign him, whatever. The big question that we're talking about is Dak Prescott, and I don't got the heart to move on from a good quarterback. Y'all are tougher men than me, I guess. No, no, no. For the record, I want to be very clear about this point. I said that they should and likely will re-sign him. The question of what is more likely for them to become a Super Bowl winning team is it by building with value elsewhere. You're raising your risk profile. It's much more volatile, but I think you're close to capped to having a stacked roster that you've had with Dak a couple times in his career and it hasn't gone right for a multitude of reasons and the cap is going to become trickier when he gets paid more money. I, I just want to point out Packers fans are probably so mad at us right now. Oh, yeah. they do you were want to do it? In, yeah. They were incredible in this yeah. game and we've spent no time talking about them. I apologize. So, you ready? Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so excited, guys, because I, I too was really excited to talk about the Packers. We had to get this out of the way off the top. Like the people were here for it, but now it's time wow. for our good hands moments presented by Allstate. The Packers are in good hands with Jordan Love. Ooh. Cousin Jordan, Jordan Love 
cooked a defense, a Cowboys defense that for a period of the season we thought was one of the best units in the league. And the thing about Jordan Love that I find fascinating, this hasn't just been today. This is an award that's being presented to him for his growth and his performance over the last two months. And it's something that's fascinating to me. And there's a million ways to go through the Jordan Love stuff and the Packers stuff and how they built this team. But sorry for the cheesy question. It's the only way I can think about it. Do you view Jordan Love and his performance today and really over the last few months as the emergence of a, of a new superstar quarterback? Yeah. I mean, what, what would you want from Jordan Love that he has not shown over the past two months? He can make any throw. He can single-handedly make plays out of structure. He can make plays in structure. He has a great arm. He's athletic. And he's doing it with, I believe, I'm going to look at the numbers when the season's over, but last time I checked, the youngest receiving core mm-hmm. in at least the last 25 years, if not the Gotta youngest be. receiving core in the history of the National Football League. He hasn't had a great running game for most of the season because Aaron Jones has been hurt. The offensive line, his left tackle, has been hurt for the majority of the season. Like He hasn't had the support of a great defense for much of the season. He hasn't had the support of a great defense. But like When we talk about C.J. Stroud, one of the things that's really stood out about C.J. Stroud is he has a good line, but his receivers were not great on paper heading into the season. Nico Collins, mm-hmm. you know, has taken a major step forward. We'll talk about Tank Dell. Took him, you know, was w- really impressive as a rookie, but wasn't a guy who we saw as like, you know, a, a Jamar Chase T. Higgins situation for Joe Burrow in his second year. Like he's done this without Christian Watson, his nominal top wideout for most of the season. Yeah. Like all, all the all the things we would look for to kind of poke holes in a young quarterback and say, well, he can't do this or he can't do that. You can't poke those holes in Jordan Love. He is thriving. And, and and he's the guy who's driving the offense. To me, I yep. think he looks like a, a top eight quarterback to me. And he bounced back from a slow start to his career. Like, not only did he not play for the early years of his career, but he had a slow start to this season, his first year as a starter. It was mm-hmm. kind of ugly where I was feeling kind of nervous about assuming that he was going to be as good as I think we all thought he was. But then he turned the corner and he's been great. But all those things that we said that he didn't have for much of the season, he had all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. In this game, they had yes. a running attack. They had an awesome defense. They had uh, well-designed plays, play action with people wide open. But still, to your point, a lot of a couple of plays early on were him buying time, like flushing to the right, buying time in order to uh, find was it Dobbs a couple of times I think right, deep Dobbs, in the middle yeah, of the field. Weird. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the, the O line was touchdown pass laser to Dobbs where he faded right and threw it back, and it's like, how did you even see that window? I mean, that was the the against the zero blitz. So that, that was kind of the pivotal point of the game was the uh, the interception by Jair Alexander, which is a great, great play by him. I'm glad didn't get called a penalty because they were trying to call that a penalty. But then they responded by a hard count to get them to show that they were in zero. And then the design of that play, they motioned the receiver inside. So zero blitz, your responsibility is to make sure no one beats you inside. And that's the first responsibility because mm-hmm. there's no help in there. They motion a guy inside, which then puts uh, Gilmore in outside leverage and then run a post. And Jordan Love throws it off his back foot with a man jumping <laughs> at him. Perfect uh, pass in the back of the end zone. It was like the play of the day to me, the most impressive mm-hmm. play that we saw. By the way, like four different guys are open on that play. Like It was the right decision, right throw, no question. But like three or I think three, maybe three guys and the check down were open on that play <laughs> against ZR, which probably tells you what kind of day it was for the Cowboys. But he he had a, he was impressive today. There, there's they were all were incredibly impressive 
But mm-hmm. I think Jordan Love, it was nice to see him have this moment where it was a flawless game. It felt like them. And again, they didn't, the Cowboys didn't put a lot of pressure on him. So he didn't have to do any miraculous comebacks, but he did exactly what was expected, or probably a little more than was expected of him more. in his first playoff start. So can I ask you guys a question? Because by the way, they didn't even get the ball to Jaden Reed, who had been his top receiver for a lot of the season. Like <laughs> he, he didn't even like a target for the first three quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, this wasn't a prep for question, so there you guys legitimately might not have a have an answer. But what happened to Jordan Love? Because it seemed like the first eight weeks of the season, up until Thanksgiving, he was sort of a write off, and it was like, oh, he's talented, he's not accurate, he's not good. Like they're going to move on from him, and then seemingly overnight, he became awesome. Is there anything that you've seen that can sort of explain this, or is this an anomaly where this his true self just took eight weeks of football to come out? I, I think what happened was people stopped paying attention to the Packers for about two months. And then yep. everyone watched that Thanksgiving and they're like, oh, he's good. What happened? Things changed. Like, I, I do think he made strides in terms of his confidence, in terms of his, you know, how much he trusts his receivers on routes. I think in terms of his, you know, his decisiveness, like he gets the ball quicker. I think he's, um, you know, he, he didn't have that or as many of those like back foot throws in his pocket earlier in the season. And I think he he trusts his arm a little bit more, but I think there's just that general feeling of like this dude had not played football for three years in front of live pass rush reps. And like, it was going to take time for him to get to a point where he was more comfortable, you know, maneuvering, uh, his footwork on the pocket, you know, getting more consistent, like all that stuff happens with opportunities. And so as the year went on, he got better because he had more chances to get better. Yeah. I I think that's an interesting point. The idea that he hadn't played in three years is something that we would have, act like we would have lost our minds if it was a quarterback that we knew was good and then set out for an entire season we might have been like oh my gosh how can you expect this guy to come back and be good he hadn't played football <laughs> like real legitimate competitive football in a real game uh, he's never done it in NFL but he hadn't done it in three years so maybe that's part mm-hmm. of it because I, I do remember thinking that his accuracy was one of his superpowers and early on like Bill said I was one of those people that was like all right is a team that I don't got to check back in on. And then I had to, like, do my homework to catch up once the Thanksgiving game happened. I was like, oh, they're they're good now. Let's figure out what's (laughs) going on with Jordan Love. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, he's actually really good. And it might just been, like, got to get warmed up, get comfortable with this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I also want to point out, though, they did lose to the Giants and Tommy Cutlets two weeks after, after, after Thanksgiving. So I think, like, in our heads, we have this idea of like, okay, he was bad, and then Thanksgiving he was great, and he's been great since. He wasn't great against the Giants, and the Giants are not yeah. a, a great defense, great football team. Like he, he's they been also almost lost yeah. to Bryce Young in the Panthers. Worth noting, mm, not ideal, but like doesn't matter now. You won the playoff game. <laughs> no one remembers. No one besides no one besides losers like me remember what you did against the Giants in Week 14. So you're good, Jordan Love, uh, and he's going to get probably a lot of money this offseason, which hey, good for him. So I got one one other question about this because we're in an era now where people are largely smarter about the rookie quarterback contract. And it's like you have a cost-controlled asset that you can take at the top of the first round. You have to play him over the course of that contract. That's the entire value of this. But Jordan Love, there's a chance this was the best thing that ever happened to him, right? Do you think like how much value do you think that this will – or how much stock do you put into the Jordan Love thing that this could change the way other quarterbacks are developed or it was the right decision or it's just a case-by-case basis? Um, I think it's probably a smart thing to do. I mean, you've heard me make my arguments uh, many times in the past that I think more than anything, young quarterbacks need time. 
and mm-hmm. they need time to add new things to their game to get comfortable and develop new parts of their game. And so many quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, I believe, are ruined because they're put in bad situations where they do not have the support to learn and add to their game. However, the pressure is the pressure and the situation is the situation. So if you are a, a team that's drafting a quarterback in the first round, means you probably don't have one. They're going to get put in. I don't I, I don't care how well this works for Jordan Love. There's going to be maybe some team. And again, for them, they drafted him while they had a quarterback on the roster that went on to win two MVPs afterwards. So if people are going to do that, then maybe it happens going forward. But I think most teams are not. And you could argue that they shouldn't have drafted him then. They should have used that pick on someone could have helped them to win a Super Bowl. I think right now that might be a bad argument to make because they hit on another quarterback. Yeah, I mean, but I'm sure they would trade for another Super Bowl. Uh, why are you looking at it like laughing like it's crazy? An idea that they could have used that first round pick on something to help them win at the time when they were a game away from getting to the Super Bowl and back to back seasons. It wasn't going to happen. Okay, maybe it wasn't, well, but it's a reasonable argument to make. I guess how can I even say that with certainty? Oh yeah, this hypothetical trade. Sorry, it was really dumb. It's fine. We it's late. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> I, I, you know, like, like the thing I, the point I made was Jordan Love got better as he got more reps. So maybe he would have got better getting those reps in year yeah. one. Maybe he wouldn't have had the, like the identical Aaron Rodgers footwork on his uh, jump pass that he has after three years. Maybe, maybe it took him two and a half years to master that. I don't know. But like, I think Dominique's point is really salient that if you don't have the right infrastructure around a guy, whether it's year one or year four, they're not going to work. So mm-hmm. I think often we have quarterbacks drafted in year one who get thrust into situations, not because there's the right pieces around them and because they can develop, but just because a coach thinks he's going to get fired and needs a spark. And that does not lead to successful things. So I, I, I don't think it's like a, I, I, I think teams need to be realistic. And I know teams are very famous about saying, oh, yeah, listen, this guy's going to sit for a year. We're going to rebuild his mechanics. And then he's in on like week three. That's never a good process. But the process of knowing when you want to get a guy in there and having the right pieces around him that he can thrive, like like C.J. Stroud has done this year in terms of the offensive line with the Texans, I think there's no reason to sit C.J. Stroud for three years just because he might have a guy in front of him. Um. Is there a team that would be more fun to win the Super Bowl than the Green Bay Packers right now? Like, I just personally think that would be. It's unlikely they probably won't get past the 49ers, but it would you, make you me don't think smile. the Lions would yeah, be more fun than the Cowboys? I mean, all right, maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe you're following different storylines this season than I am. <laughs> I mean, let's let's be real. For the sake of this podcast, one of the funniest things because it would just break Bill's brain would be the Steelers winning the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> That wouldn't just break Bill's brain. Like, I'm sure your brain was short circuit <laughs> also. It'd be uh, seeping out of my nose. We'd all be confused. Seeing Mason Rudolph hoist the Lombardi. <laughs> Someone's going to bonk him with the Lombardi. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, we didn't talk about Belichick to the Cowboys. Yeah. Not that not that we need to, but uh, we can you move on. Happen? You think it's going to happen? Hell no. I don't think it's going to happen. Hell you don't, it's gonna happen. You're saying hell no. It's not. You think there's no chance it's going to happen. Um, I think there's a chance that it could happen. I just have a hard time imagining that um, either Jerry Jones or Bill Belichick would like to sign up for for that. It doesn't seem okay. like something that Bill Belichick would be interested in participating in in the the Dallas Cowboys experience. And Jerry Jones has never, uh, since Bill Parcells 
seem like he's the one who wants to go for the coach that's going to get more credit than him. So do you think they should or and or are going to fire Mike McCarthy and or Dan Quinn this week? Um, we're recording this the night of the game, so I still feel like that we're very close to an embarrassing performance, too close to be honest about, I mean, too close to be level-headed about the decision. But yeah, right about now, get his <laughs> up out of there. Gosh, that was embarrassing. Like, I, maybe I'll feel differently in a week and think about all these 12-win seasons or whatever. But right now, it's like, man, you got to do better than this. <laughs> you got to go. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's talk about this Lions team real quick that it would be very fun if they continue to advance. So the NFC drop, this was a very tough game. It was an awesome game playing against the Rams. Stafford and Puka were out of their oh. mind for periods of this. Uh, Goff did L- literally, not. Literally, it felt like one, one way to put One of them was out of their minds. Yeah. For one second, they ran him back out there after my man had the PlayStation hands after his head hit the, the oh. turf. But anyway. Well, that's what we Lions, used to call them. Yeah, when I played football, we called them the PlayStation hands. And sensitive when you play, he played football when you played football too. So he <laughs> probably called them the PlayStation hands. Yeah, all right. I didn't think that was insensitive. I think I mean whatever what was insensitive was sending his back out there. But anyway, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> that was insensitive. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Anyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash df today to get 10 percent off your first month that's better help com slash df okay so the lions things have opened up in the nfc for the lions in an interesting way they're going to play the winner of the eagles bucks game mm-hmm. depending on the eagles performance in that game if they came back and were the eagles from last season early this season who's line will be but they're likely going to be a home favorite in round two and I want to ask you guys, how far do you think this Lions team can go? Well, as Brian, a producer who is a Michigan mm. fan and a Lions fan, has reminded Brian. me. Yeah, it's, it's a, been a good year for Brian. But he's reminded me that I once said that the Lions are an unserious outfit because they did not have a pass rush. Um, he's right to call me out. I, I can't put a cap on him right now. It feels like the 49ers are the bar. I don't think they get past the 49ers. 
uh, which I guess is putting a cap on them. But yeah, there's there's no other team left that I think that they can't beat. Uh, particularly if they're going to be able to score oh, the second half was so like unimpressive but they Hanging seem to be able to life. create yeah they seem to be able to run the ball and create big plays which is uh important thing as long as uh my man Jared Goff doesn't do like backwards bounce passes when he's under pressure we might be in good shape Poor, poor, poor Jerry Goff started this game unconscious, not in the Matthew yeah, Stafford did. way. In like he was like yeah. fifteen or fifteen. Balling. He was he was just balling, and then he has one back, one just <laughs> terrible backwards pass. I'm all like, Jared, right. no, you're right, we, you're right. We believed in you. you were you're like, right. My fault. Oh. We can we can forgive him for that. But the second half, uh, they stopped being able to move the ball and score points. Yes, and and this game, like the difference between these two teams, was not significant. It was. No. It was the Lions converting in the red zone and the Rams not converting in the red zone, which, you know, that can come down to a couple plays, a couple ex- a little bits of execution. Um, like, I, I don't think we should be drawing the conclusion that the Lions are a significantly better team than the Rams from this game. But, like, we know what the formula is for the Lions. We know if you can keep pressure off of Jared Goff and not have two guys around him, make him throw the ball backwards, he's going to hit his throws. They have playmakers who are going to run after the catch. and. I look at, at you know the rest of this lineup that they're going to play next week. They're they're most likely to play the Eagles. The Eagles have no sacks from their edge rushers in a month. They have three sacks, I believe, over their last four games. We'll see what happens. Maybe they light up the Bucks in this game, but nothing about the Eagles' defense makes me believe that they're going to suddenly shut down Jared Goff. You should be able to light up the Eagles' defense. So you're getting to probably a game against the 49ers. Maybe you're getting the Packers. Who knows? Maybe the Packers could upset the Niners. Not like the Packers, based on how they played today, should be considered huge underdogs against anybody right now. Um, you know, I, I think the Lions on their day are as good as anybody in football. The question is just, you know, how often are they going to have that day and can they sustain it for four quarters? Yeah, I think it's it's true. I, I mean, the, the 49ers are, we haven't seen, I don't know, like it's short of the Ravens, Ravens game. game? We haven't, yeah, we haven't seen. And the Ravens game was... Replete with uh, some interesting turnovers Damn. there. What hit him with the re- hit him with the replete in twenty twenty four. Okay. Anyway, uh, the 49ers, We haven't seen very many teams uh, go up against a healthy 49ers team and uh, and show that they can beat them. I guess the Lions <laughs> are capable of doing it. The, the Ravens, the only team that we saw play a healthy 49ers team and seem like they are a competitive match. Um. But we'll see. Yeah, I think the Lions, I, I, they've proven me wrong. Hutchinson is enough to get enough pressure on it because that was the real. But they still yeah. gave up big play after big play after big play. The defense is still scary as hell. If I'm Just a stick to it. Just stick to it. You'll be right eventually. <laughs> They're an unserious outfit. Uh, you can't get to the second round of the playoffs and, and me still call you unserious outfit. Divisional round qualifies you as a serious outfit. They proved me wrong. I just thought about I thought about Dak and it made me laugh when you kept saying serious outfit. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's not like those plays the Rams were hitting were plays were like like the Cowboys game where guys were wide open. Like Matthew Stafford was firing in dots into like mm-hmm. windows this big. Like he was making yeah. incredible throws in this game on cover the place where the coverage was not that bad. And well, the double move uh, against Sutton. Yeah. Puka would not yeah, have sideline. Not a lot of teams got a puka in their lineup, though, including at this point probably the Eagles. So, puka list the Eagles. Do we care at mm. all that um, AJ Brown changed uh, or took off all the stuff on Instagram? Like, is does that matter? 
It seems like the teams teams that I mean, for those who don't know, AJ Brown took off all the Eagles uh, references on his Instagram. The Eagles are in bad shape, guys. I know we're not talking about them, but that icing on the cake of him doing the Instagram thing to me just seemed like it tells me more than I wanted to know about how bad things are over there. Fire that coach. Have a bidding war for Bill Belichick. Get them all do out. You, do you regret that your career did not happen at a point where you could remove all the team-related stuff from your social media? Like, did you have a MySpace and remove, like, Bronco stuff from your MySpace at one point in your career? <laughs> no, I never had a MySpace. I didn't get a Facebook until late. I got a Facebook in when I was, after I signed with the Ravens. I was, I'm, as you know, if anyone follows me on social media, I suck at it. It ain't for me. I'm not, yeah, I'm an old school brother. I, I like okay. to say yeah. things like I'm I, an old school brother. <laughs> get 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 you get you an old school brother who can say PlayStation hands and replete in the same oh, the same ninety second win. Absolutely. And if you say hello to me, I'm gonna say something to the effect of uh if I had your hand, I cut mine off. That's <laughs> this is something that Charlie's not familiar with. Bill knows a lot of 40-year-old black men, obviously. I you're just gonna say, what up, man? Yeah, that's it. So it's like, this is how it goes. What up, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Oh, man. How are things? Uh, if I had your hand, I'd cut mine off. It's essentially saying that your life is better than mine. It's mm. whatever. I'm just teaching mm. So in case you find yourself at uh at a um, at a live podcast that is replete <laughs> with uh, a fraternity, as Bill and I did many years ago at the Super Bowl, you will know how to meet all the Kappas that were inexplicably in a Houston bar to hear the Bill Barnwell live podcast uh, at the Super Bowl like five years ago. You know, I I, I have very big in certain circles with the Bill Barnwell <laughs> show podcast. Don't know why you're not full of skeptical of that. Uh, but let's 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 bring this back to the place. Let's not. Let's here. talk about let's talk about how offended I'm gonna be when you have more 40-year-old black men at your <laughs> live podcast than I will at mine. Anyway, go ahead, Charlie. Let's talk about CJ Stroud. Oh. Um, because this is another like there's been so much this weekend. We got like a, a download of so much football, but CJ Stroud eviscerated the Browns defense in his first ever playoff game. This is a Browns defense, although they had been bad on the road for part of the season, were thought of as the best defense in football. This doesn't really happen with rookie quarterbacks and the way and the control of the game, these like this is spectacular. This is like really, I actually can't remember seeing a rookie quarterback play this well this long into a season. I know Russell Wilson won a playoff game as a rookie. Oh. There was the RG3, but like, I can't remember it being like, he was the best player in the field every time he was out there. Where do you think in the play, in the quarterbacks remaining in the playoffs, where does CJ Stroud fit into that picture? Is he near the top middle, but like where, what, how highly do you rate him with who's left? Hmm. I mean, given what he's done this season and what he did in that game against, so like the going into that game, we talked about how this defense was the perfect defense to give him trouble, and they did not. So it's hard to put him beneath anyone else, even if you think that Jordan Love had a better overall game. the The Texans were asking more of C.J. Stroud than they were of Jordan Love. I'm not sure that there was anybody from this weekend that more was asked of and delivered than C.J. Stroud. So if we're going off this weekend, well, next to Bill Barnwell, of course, but if we're going off this weekend alone and we're not talking about the next round of guys, 
and it's CJ Stroud. Well, I'm talking about all guys who are left. Yeah, I was trying you to avoid include, that because I don't feel like that. this. Ugh. You don't want to talk about the fact that they have the, you know, Bill, do you know this? Have you heard about this? That CJ Stroud and Lamar Jackson have the same amount of playoff career touchdown passes and they're playing next week. Have you heard about this? You said, do you know about you this? Seen this? Have you read about it? Have you heard about it? I, 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 do, uh, do, you, do you have like a, a Leno monologue prepared for this show, Charlie? <laughs> he does. I will not on Martin Luther King Day allow you to pit CJ Stroud against the hype up CJ Stroud. I will not allow, I will not be forced to choose. I've seen the mountaintop. I've been there. <laughs> I may not get there with you, but CJ Stroud sure as hell will. Um, yeah, they're tied. How do you like that? They're tied, but isn't that something though? <laughs> oh, no, they're, not, tied, they're, they're not tied. They're not tied. I take it back. I will not compare them. They're both really good. How about that? They exist in different universes. <laughs> they are on different planes, thriving <sighs> separately. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, go ahead, Bill. This, this, the scary part about this game for CJ Stroud and the Browns is like, it, it could have been even worse. Schultz had that drop on that oh, yeah. perfect pass early in the game. And then like third and forever, he had Nico Collins for like a 60 yard touchdown and overthrew him. Like this could have been a perfect game. Like it could have been touchdown, 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 touchdown um, with slightly better luck. And, and that was against the Browns team that not everybody, some people pointed out that this was a bad matchup for the Browns in their playoff preview and the fatal flaws column there for ESPN.com, which you can go read if you are so inclined. But so smart. A defense that is very good. And and I think um we saw a great game plan for Bobby Slowick. We yeah. saw great receivers outside of that Schultz drop. We saw dynamic stuff after the catch. We saw the Browns get very sloppy. Honestly, played very similarly to the Cowboys and that you seem to have your star players trying to make like special one-on-one plays and getting burnt because of it. And in the big picture, you had CJ Stroud who looked totally calm, totally collected. Like this was his 25th playoff game, just hitting bomb after bomb without any regard for what the, the Browns trying to do on defense. And I think that, to me, like he's played much better in a playoff game than Lamar has ever played. Dak Prescott had that one game against the Bucks, but he yep. played better than any other Dak Prescott playoff game in Dak's career. Like, like does that mean something? Like, I know it's a small sample. It doesn't mean he's yeah, going to be great for his entire career, but that means something, right? It means a tremendous amount. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to to. You can look at this, and I, you try to look around to see who took pressure off him, who deserves more credit. Um, I think Laramie Tunsil de- deserves a tremendous amount of credit to be able to neutralize uh, Miles Garrett for much of that game. But, And then you can look at the game plan that Bobby Sloak put together, uh, where it's like deep overs and crossing routes and like all things to attack man coverage, and and then answers to what were inevitably the Browns answers that took some pressure off of them, but that's not novel. Like <laughs> most teams that like, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of different ways that you can go into this. Like you brought up Russell Wilson. We can go back and look at that and be like, Oh yeah, there was a lot of defensive help there. There was yeah. a guy named Marshawn Lynch. There was a lot of things uh, helping him uh, progress that CJ Stroud just didn't have. He's the guy like they're treating him like you would treat uh like a, a veteran all pro level quarterback. And he answered the bell against this team. And then uh, Joe Flacco threw it at the other guys. 
I think. Oh, are we going to talk about Joe Flacco? No, nah, we, we don't have to. <laughs> I think he's the best. I think he's the best rookie quarterback since Dan Marino, and even Marino, who was an All Pro as a rookie, um, ended up losing his first playoff game and had two touchdowns, but also threw two interceptions. Like this is, I'm not. Who knows what his career will turn out to be? But as a, as a rookie, how accomplished he is, it's pretty unique in the NFL to be this good this quickly and not have the down weeks. I've got a question for my main men, Dominique and Charlie, that is not in the doc. Another non-doc question. Would you rather have for the next 10 years the Texans and CJ Stroud or the Packers and Jordan Love? Where Jordan Love is older, is closer to his second contract, but the Packers are the youngest team in football. The Texans have CJ Stroud and Will Anderson, but no first round pick this year. Their OC is probably getting a head coaching job and their roster is has more veterans. It's not old, but they have more veterans in other in key places than the Packers do. Mm-hmm. I'll take CJ Stroud. Uh, the uh, losing Bobby Sloak. His dad was my defensive coordinator in um, Denver for a couple of years. His name's Bob too. But anyway, losing Bobby Sloak is a problem. Bobby yeah, so you, losing him could be a problem. But uh, what I've seen out of CJ Stroud is incredibly impressive and they can build around that they do have young talent on that team just because they're not as young as maybe the youngest team (laughs) ever in the history of uh offensive playmakers maybe they aren't that young they're still pretty young between tank dell and nico collins um and they have a legitimate left legitimate all pro left tackle and laramie tunsil like that's impressive a defense getting better i I like that situation I, i get with the benefits of the youth of Green Bay and also your offensive coordinator, essentially your head coach. So you don't have to worry about losing that. So that's nice up in Green Bay. But I think the growth for CJ Stroud is higher. And then there's also the kicker of we still got a few, four more years of CJ Stroud on cost control. You about to have to pay um, Jordan Love this offseason. I um, I was really prepared, Dominique, for you to be like, there's a maximum of this show. That is institutional stability. And the Green Bay Packers are institutionally stable. Ooh. And so I have to pick Jordan Love. And now I was going to take the other side and be take CJ Stroud and be like, this is a more unique talent, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but now I will take that side because <laughs> well, I do I'm think I rubbed off on you. Well, I do think that I do I do prefer Stroud as a talent. Like the way he like we we talk about all the flash throws that Jordan Love makes, but like the tempo that Stroud throws the ball with it seems like everything is always easy for him. And that's just as impressive as the flash plays and he makes it all look so simple. Um, but the, the the setup, the fact that the Green Bay Packers are always good, the fact that they, they can conceivingly unearth receivers out of thin air and they're all good, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers just wanted to throw the ball to Randall Cobb and Alan <laughs> Lazard um, and could blow up any situation. And also, he could dack it up in the second round of the playoffs like he always did, where Jordan Love won't. That's, he won that's a Super Aaron. Bowl. You can't yeah, say yeah. always did. He man won a Super Bowl. I was like, I was like in high school when he won a Super Bowl. <laughs> but I do want to ask Bill, I want to flip this yeah. question on you for a second, because this is a huge part of it. Would you rather be in the division? Because this is a division where you're going to play against Trevor Lawrence and Anthony Richardson, assuming he comes back in the Shane Steichen offense, which could be really interesting, or be in the division that the Packers are in, 
where you're going to play against the new look lions and maybe a new look bears team. That's going to have Caleb Williams or Drake may and all of this draft capital. Cause that's also going to define the other, how, how successful they both are. I would pick the AFC South 10 times out of 10 <laughs> in that conversation. If you got to talk about one of those dudes saying, if he comes back after his rookie season, that probably tells you that I should not be that concerned about the AFC South. So I'm going to take the, you mentioned institutional stability. The AFC South has institutional <laughs> instability. I'm going to choose that division. Give me CJ Stroud. And by the way, the Texans have had plenty of draft capital too from their trade. So I'm not, I'm mm-hmm. the, they, they, they're already using that capital, which to me, nothing wrong with that as opposed to having it in the years to come. No guarantee the Browns use that or the Bears use that capital well when they trade Justin Fields, which by the way, Oh, we, we don't have time for it. I want to have it. We, we need to have a what does Justin Fields get traded for conversation on this show before the end of the season. I love it. We'll do it tomorrow night when we record after the late make. game tomorrow night, too. You'll be there. I'm not I'm not coming back on Monday. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm one and done. I'm one and done. We got uh, to book a guest for tomorrow well, night. Somebody. Do we do we uh, <laughs> like for the Browns? Uh, my question for you was this. We'll have a, a quick Browns conversation. Then we'll move on. How many weeks into 2024 is it before Browns fans start calling for Joe Flacco to get signed and Deshaun Watson to get benched? My guess is week three. How do you guys think it'll be later? Well, I was going to say three also. I was push, yeah. push. Yeah. Later, I, I, I was, I'm going to say training camp. They're going to be confused. <laughs> They're going to be confused why he's not the backup at least. Like why, why would you leave him out why, there for somebody why, else to grab him? Well, why would Joe Flacco want to be the backup? No, I'm just saying that the fans in general are going to be concerned or confused why Joe Flacco is no longer on their team. Mm-hmm, fair. I would, I would be confused because you need someone cheap. And, like, why would you not have him on the team when you have Deshaun Watson as your quarterback? And be- why would because, he not be? Because he just threw the ball at the other team in a big game. That's why. That's one reason why. Two reasons. Number one, Joe Flacco's made $175 million. He's 38 yeah. years old. He does not need to go to Cleveland to be the backup to Deshaun Watson <laughs> for point. an entire season. Fair Number point. two, if you're Kevin Stefanski, you do not want the fans chanting for Joe Flacco to come in when you're still paying a quarterback $46 million a year for the next three years. You want to do whatever. They're going to be showing the Joe Flacco interceptions on a on like yes. a reel before yes. a game. So fans are not like, bring back Joe. They're like, oh, Joe kind of sucked. Uh, that was actually not that good. Uh, they're going to do everything they can to get fans to forget about Joe Flacco and bring Deshaun Watson back because they're priced in. They have, have Deshaun Watson work um, unless they trade him, which I, I don't think that's possible, but... There, I, there, there cannot be a GM dumb enough to trade for Deshaun Watson at this point. That's impossible. Dominique, you've been I, in the room with these people. There's you like they they can't I, be that dumb. The, the face Dominique is making is the thing I am thinking about. The answer is it only takes one, Charlie. And when it comes to quarterbacks, people people do desperate things. People do yeah. really stupid, really desperate things. Especially a quarterback. quarterback that's shown in the past that he is among the has the ability to be among the best in football. Somebody convinced themselves that the Browns are the problem. It don't take much. Now, that money is a big number. That might scare people off. But I don't think it's unreasonable to think that mm. someone can convince themselves that Deshaun Watson with them is something different. They go get Bill O'Brien to be his office of coordinator. <laughs> like, $50 million, $50 million dollars, 30th in the league in QBR. Fans Charlie, will probably hate him. Charlie, I just, I just want to point out that we just came – 
one concussion evaluation away from seeing Carson Wentz in a playoff game for the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, You realize how bad this night would have been for Dominique if Carson Wentz had won a playoff game after the Dak performance? Oh, that would have been so amazing. That would have been so incredible. (laughs) I didn't even think about that as a possibility. This would have actually become the Darren Orlovsky show. I'd have willingly changed the name of the show to the Darren Orlovsky show without Darren Orlovsky. would be the the full title of the show. That would have been incredible. I would have rooted for that to happen just for the sheer comedy of it all. How is Stafford and Wentz a quarterback room and Dan Orlovsky doesn't work for the Rams. <laughs> you, you don't know where he's at right now. He might I'll, be there. I'll, I'll see if, if he's not at the table and get up tomorrow morning, uh, I'll, we'll know where he is. Um, what, we have one more game though. Robert half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Yeah, we have one more game. This game was largely boring because of <laughs> the, the quality of play and the weather. It was the Chiefs uh, sort of rolling a Dolphins team that just continues to not compete when they play against good teams. The weather was really bad. Um, the banged up Dolphins didn't show up. And actually, I don't really think we learned much about the Chiefs, but we learned a lot or we got a lot confirmed about the dolphins which is they're gonna have to start paying people particularly Tua, particularly some of their other draft picks and their windows seem to be like now where do the dolphins go from here do they do they even have a quarterback i don't think the dolphins are as bad as people are making them out to be like they lost three games and the world has fallen. Like they can't beat good teams. They can't. They beat the Cowboys. They beat the Cowboys immediately before this streak. Why does that game not count as a win over a good team? They were four and six. <laughs> Did you just see the Cowboys play? They're but not. That good. was that. They just won the NFC East. They they won they won three weeks ago. They they like, they beat the Eagles in the NFC East. Woo! Just a parade of super teams over there. The things we're saying about the Dolphins that are like the. Like the underpinning arguments about like they are they're doomed with Tua, they're doomed with this structure that like they can't win against good teams, they can't win on the road. If you go back a year, that was not the case with almost an identical core of players. So I don't think that is a meaningful thing. I, like to me, I, the weather, the weather impacted this game, but it was not the weather that concerned me. It was not having answers for what the Chiefs did on defense in this game. It felt like to me this was as much about. Tua as it was about Mike McDaniel where you know like if you're going to be that dude and he's that dude in terms of an offensive play caller in terms of you know uh, I don't think he wants maybe doesn't want this stuff but he's regarded as an offensive genius like 
they did not have answers for getting Tyreek Hill open. They did not have answers for, um, you know, dealing with pressure. They did not have answers for dealing with um, the Chiefs slowing down the running game. They did not have answers for Tua not being able to throw many complete passes with much velocity to the outside, which maybe that's a problem for Tua. I think that's a fair conversation to have. But it felt like they had one deep throw in the first three quarters of this game. It didn't get back to it until the fourth quarter. And um, it, it did not feel like, I, it felt like either Tua was not able to execute the answers or Mike McDaniel did not have answers for Tua to execute. Um, and the Chiefs didn't really run away with it. They had opportunities. No. They had the two-way go. Like, that was the big fear uh, when you have a McDaniels or Shanahan-style team. It's like you don't want to get in a situation where you have to force this quarterback to operate in a pass-only situation. They were never there, but they couldn't run the ball. And not having answers in this game to the Chiefs' defense was a problem and slightly disappointing. But the fact mm -hmm. that they seemingly kind of entered this game with a similar game plan to when they played the Chiefs the last time and did not develop any answers off of that, like it seems like their offense is predicated on the ability to have successful outside runs. That's their mm -hmm. offense. When they do that well, everything else falls into place. Of course, to uh, Tyreek being... Uh, a freak wide receiver helps too, but it seems like the foundation of their offense are those two things. Tyreek doing amazing things and them being able to have an outside running game. They didn't have it in that first game against the Chiefs. And so I expected them to come in here and say, all right, we know how you guys are going to stop that. So we have an answer. No, they start first play the game. Let's go sweep. And it didn't work. And then they did it a bunch more times and it never worked. And then they had no answers for it. It just seemed like they were not creative. Mm -hmm. it, it feels like as the year goes on, Mike McDaniel has fewer and fewer answers. Like if you give him six months, he's going to have a killer game plan, some motions and some shifts you never thought of before. They're going to be great in September. To me, that's the bigger problem with this team right now. It's not the weather. It's not playing good teams. It's that it feels like their life meter goes down as the year goes on and they can't put a quarter in to reset it by the end of the year. And you know, like maybe it was the injuries, like maybe the defense plays better if they're not down five starters, which I think we can all agree is fair to say. But like th this game was depressing if you were a Dolphins mm -hmm. fan. This felt like banging your head against the wall for four quarters. Big weekend for Cam Newton because I, I think he <laughs> he might have been right about these these play. But we'll see about uh, Purdy because the uh, the thing just hyped up Bryce Young. So we got time. <laughs> yeah. but I, I mean he jumped into my head because i was thinking about when your coach doesn't have answers like sometimes a quarterback can create an answer for you <laughs> and and it does not appear that uh tua has that ability i saw i mean he tried to run the ball and i was nervous i hope everyone else was nervous too when he like thought he was gonna run for a first down what are you doing man please stop slide and then trying to cut through the wind with his arm strength is a question mark. Like it, it, it didn't seem, it wasn't the best uh, image to end the season on for those people who, who believe in Tua as the franchise there. I, Bill, I want to ask with, cause we, we teased a little earlier that they could conceivably sign someone like Kirk Cousins. I watched Tua play, not grinding the all 22, um, but he's someone who, when I watched him in college was a very different player when he had, two functioning ankles and a hip that hadn't been traumatically injured. And he was much more aggressive. He was much more mobile. Now he seems 
really immobile. I think he ran for fewer than 10 first downs this year. And that probably became more immobile as he put on weight over the offseason to try and become more durable. But the concerning thing, I actually, we talked about this earlier in the show. We talked about Dak Prescott. What's the alternative? Like why, why you don't move on from a quarterback that good because it's like, it's rare to get and you have to raise your risk profile with Tua. I think this physical limitations are so severe that I don't think it's that risky to try and find a different quarterback. I really, I know he's so accurate with protection, but I think that they could replace him in Mike McDaniel's offense really quickly. And I'm wondering what you think about if, is that a crazy thing to say? Charlie, are you Chad Pennington? Ing? Shaming Ing? Chad, Chad Pennington Chad Pennington Ing? <laughs> Tua Tungo Vailoa? Are you just like this dude is too broke for us to 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 pay him or keep him around? I mean, it depends. Are you gonna get him on a Jared Goff contract? Are you gonna get him on a Dak Prescott contract? And I think his stats are gonna dictate that he's gonna try and get a contract that's big. Or what here's a question. Why not roll the dice and trade a second and a third round pick for Justin Fields? I knew you were going there with that. I, I don't Justin Fields does not seem like the right quarterback for this offense. Maybe he is, maybe I'm totally wrong. Like I think fewer physical limitations. Two uh, fewer physical limitations, but like you need a quarterback who is on time consistently and accurate. Mm-hmm. And that is Tua. That for better or worse, Justin Fields is like long range bomber and incredible at that. But like I don't know if he can be that guy who's like reliably two three steps and balls out. You don't agree, Dominique? Well, I guess is this so if we're gonna say that Mike McDaniel is an offensive guru, even though we also mm-hmm. just um undercut his guruiness, is this offense the fact that it's, it's such a time today? <laughs> oh my gosh. Is the fact that it's a timing anticipation offense a product of Mike McDaniel mm-hmm. um realizing that it has to be that because their offensive line is not good and to his arm is weak and also he had a concussion or had a serious concussion so bad that we thought that he may never play again. So with a different quarterback, Mike McDaniel's offense might look entirely different and a lot better, uh, or potentially not better, but uh, more effective and uh, consistent in a playoff scenario. Well, I remember in San Francisco, I talked myself into believing that Trey Lance was going to yeah. a different style of Niners offense. And then Kyle Shanahan got two weeks of that. And he was like, Mm-mm, Mm-mm. get me, get, get me the quickest <laughs> white dude you can get. And that's what we're putting in this offense. Like, you know, a, oh, a, 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 maybe Mike McDaniel won't be like that. Maybe he'll be like, you know, mold my offense. Not that Kyle Shanahan's great, but like, you know, yeah. he, he has an idea of what his offense is. It works really well. There's no reason to change it. Like, to me, I, I don't know that Mike McDaniel wants to change his offense like that. I think it could obviously be an incredible downfield passing attack with Justin Fields and 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 Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. There's no question about that. But like this offense is great when it's working. Like we don't need to change the offensive structure. We just need better execution as the year goes along. And yeah, so I, I guess I, I get you. But I, I mean, I'm not even sure that I agree with this, but I think it's worth the conversation and it's worth the argument is um, the offense is still a little bit more fickle, I guess, because it's so reliant on the timing and the accuracy and the health of uh, the receivers. It it feels like it's a fickle offense, or f- I guess um, fragile is probably a better word. It feels delicate, <laughs> like any any little thing, like if it's a little too windy or if two is a second too late, it feels like that's 
like the offense doesn't feel very strong or sturdy, and maybe it's potential that it could feel different with a different quarterback. Bill, Skylar Thompson was taken mm. 15 picks ahead of Brock Purdy in the draft last year. I promise you, if that had been Brock Purdy and not Skylar Thompson, he would have been the starting quarterback in that game for the Dolphins. I promise you that. It's not just like you really believe I, I I absolutely do. I do not think it's just that Kyle Shanahan needed a steward of the system in, in a certain way. Like that's what Tua is. He's a steward of Mike McDaniel's system and he's been capable of being accurate enough when there's time, but he is so limited. And I think deep down that you believe that this is like the offense would function so much better with someone with some sort of arm talent. And you got to pay him soon. You're paying. You're, he's up to twenty five million next year, and then after that, it's franchise tags. So, like, I, I think they wanted to know this year if he was going to be their guy. And we're sitting here after a full season where he led the league in passing yards, when he had great numbers, played a full season, was healthy the entire year. Do you know? I I don't feel like I know whether two is the guy. If I had to pick. I'd probably pick no, even if I'm more optimistic than Charlie is, but Danny Warfling. Huh? <laughs> Warfling. <laughs> um, I don't know. Dominique, do you feel like like you you know what you need to know about Tua, or would you run it back for another year on the front on the uh, fifth year option? Oh yeah, I'd definitely run it back for another year on the fifth year option. Uh, I mean the question that Charlie posed that made me second guess it was Justin Fields. I, I yeah, I'd bring Justin Fields in, but I mean, I'm the same guy at the beginning of this conversation that was scared to move on from a quarterback. I haven't changed over the course of this conversation. I'm not interested in the unknown. If you it's tell me that there's some something known, yeah, it's a different quarterback. I agree, but like what I what I've gotten out of Tua is stable quarterback play. That even though it is kind of fragile, it's been stable and good, and and it works. I'm not trying to go to so, nowhere to like. I'm not trying to move on and be like, oh, I don't know. Now let's see what's out there. I just, I just want to ask you a question. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know where the Dolphins pick this year. It's probably like twenty-ish would be my guess, or uh, like, like in, in the twenty range. Stephen Ross, Michigan obsessive. No, JJ McCarthy declared for the draft today. No, thank you. That, no, thank you, you couldn't see ownership just being like that is who we're taking with this pick and. Thank you, Tua, but oh, we are good for 2024 and I absolutely could see ownership doing something like that. It would be foolish, but I could see them doing it. I just say no. Thank I, you. I, I, didn't say, I didn't say it was a good idea. I'm just saying, could you not see that I happening? I could see it happening, unfortunately. I hope not. We got to go to sleep. We got to shut this down before Charlie gets us into any more trouble that he's already got us into. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Bill. You're the man. I'll see you tomorrow night. Can't wait to do this again after tomorrow's late game. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Allstate. This has been the Dominic Foxworth Show presented by Allstate. Throw your hands up. Thank you to all our great producers, Serafina, Megan, Brian, Kevin, and Tez. We out. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. 
At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.